theme this year is Freedom in Christ. We're working all 2014 on that theme and doing a number of different series about different freedoms that we enjoy. Uh, the series that we just started a couple of weeks ago, our third series, is Free from Fear. Uh, our... Yeah, that's our... <laughs> I got completely lost there for just a second. I don't know. Maybe because no kids were crying or something. I just, I just got stumped. Uh, <laughs> Free from Fear is the series that we're working on. And uh, uh, our current series is, is Free from Fear. Uh, and fear may not be the right word for it. Let's talk about that for a moment and see if we can get going here. Uh, we've got uh, other words that we found when we defined fear uh, that we might use instead of that. Uh, fear may seem a little too strong for something. You ask somebody, what do you fear? Well, I don't really fear anything. Uh, but are you anxious about anything? Do you worry about anything? Uh, do you dread things? Do things distress you? Are you apprehensive about something? Now, that's what we're talking about here, the whole concept of uh, being bothered by something or worried or, or fearful. Uh, lesson number one that we looked at was called Facing Fears with Faith, and that was the main point of this whole series. Uh, whatever fear we talk about, the main point is that we have to face that with faith. Uh, very basic, uh, got to master that, got to understand that's the answer to everyone. And it may seem a little redundant by the time we get through with a few more, but that's the answer. What's your fear? The answer is faith. Uh, as our fears, uh, as our faith increases, our fears decrease. Uh, the reason is because that's very biblical. Uh, God commands over and over and over to fear not. Uh, some folks say it's the most repeated command in the Bible, and it may very well be. Uh, it's in there a whole lot of times. Fear not. God told individuals. God told his people. God told his nation. God tells his church, fear not. Paul gave a little more, uh, gave a prescription that was a little more detailed in Philippians 4. He said, don't be anxious about anything. Uh, that's one of our words for fear. That's what we're talking about here. Uh, don't be anxious about anything. And he went on, you remember, and he said, but in everything, whatever your fear is, and there's a lot of things to be afraid of. There are a lot of things to make us anxious. There are a lot of things that do bother us. And Paul said, don't be anxious, though. In everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And remember what will happen? The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. There are things in this world that we fear, that upset our minds, that upset our hearts, that make us unstable, that bother us and interrupt our life. Paul says, take them to God. Tell him about them. And, and the peace of God will guard your mind and heart. How do we believe that? Why do we think that's true? Faith. As our faith increases in the power of prayer, as our faith increases in God, our fears will decrease. All right, last time we were together in this series, we talked about dealing with disaster. 
talked about natural disasters, if you remember. Uh, we learned some unexpected things, I think, about God and nature, uh, unexpected good that may come from disasters. The answer, once again, is faith. Trust God. We can't always see it at the time. Uh, but if faith, if we have faith in God, we understand that our sovereign God knows what he's doing, even when disasters hit. Uh, today is our follow-up to our holiday break. A couple of weeks ago we had 4th of July, and then I was gone a week. On the 4th of July we talked about the four freedoms, remember? Uh, the four freedoms that Norman Rockwell painted and the the four of the freedoms that we have in America, just four reasons uh, for us to understand how blessed we are in this country. Uh, today we talk about fearing the fall of a nation. And here's how these tie together. Uh, as we talk about how great our nation is and the freedoms that we have in it and all of that, I don't think you have to look far to find someone who fears for that nation, who fears that this nation will not, perhaps, long survive. I think there's probably a few on your pew. I think there are a lot of us concerned about that. After lesson one in this series, when I talked about facing fears with faith, whatever you're afraid of, you have to face it. With faith, one sister came up to me and said, thank you for that sermon. Thank you, I needed that. She said, just this morning on the way to worship, I heard something on the radio, and it brought tears to my eyes about what's happening to this country. What I heard made me wonder, how, how can we survive? Things are so bad. I think there are a lot of people like that that fear where this nation is. Now, I understand a few of us don't pay attention, a few don't care, and a few don't believe really anything's wrong. But if you look at the polls, I mean, just the polls of the average American, not not Christians, not religious people, not right-wing, left-wing, anything else. You just look at the polls, and the majority of the people say this country is going the wrong direction. Okay, now, they may have different reasons. Uh, they may not think it's all morality, or it's all this, or it's all financial, or it's all what. But the majority of the people believe we're going the wrong direction. Okay? But there's a fear there. And... Christians aren't that much different than the majority. Uh, there's a fear among us, perhaps. Now, as Christians, or as just Americans, we look at it, and if we begin to list things that aren't going the right way, we can become maybe not fearful, but certainly anxious, certainly uh, stressed, certainly dread, a lot of those apprehensive, a lot of those words apply. Morality. Consider where it was a few years ago to what it is today. It's, it's constantly being eroded. The, the standards of morality are going down. Uh, the, the principles 
of our founding documents, the Constitution, what made us the unique nation that we are in the history of the world, those principles are being circumvented. They're being ignored. That's going the wrong direction. Our economy is unstable. Anybody that manages a household budget knows that the, our economy, our debt, is unsustainable. It can't work. God is being honored less in this nation. The people of God are being ridiculed more. The family, the backbone of society, is in shambles. Now, when I say it fast like that, when I list all those things, you may just hear, say, well, that sounds like a right-wing extremist platform to me. And it might sound like that, but the trouble is, I believe every one of those things I said is absolutely true. I don't think any of them are deniable. Somebody might want to argue, but I don't think, I don't see how they could win the argument. All of those things are facts. So much going on in this country is going the wrong way. And I admit, I fear. Some days more than others. But some days I fear this nation can't last. The foundations are just too rotted. What made it great has crumbled. And all those things I was talking about, that's just here in our borders. You you look at the rest of the world, and it's blowing up. I mean, there's plenty to fear in this old world. There seems to be much (laughs) for us to be anxious about, I guess. So let's talk about this a while. And if you disagree, if you think, well, everything's just wonderful and fine and uh, okay, I'm sorry. I, I I don't know how you get that by paying any little bit of attention. Things are going the wrong way. But let's talk. First, this is a great nation. We talked about that on the 4th of July, but let me just state that I believe that. And I think most everyone in this room probably believes that to one degree or another. The the older you are and the more you've been educated in history and all that, probably the higher that ranking would be. But what I wrote on your handout is, we are blessed to live in a Christian nation with freedoms that are unique in history. We are an unusual people. Oh, no one claims, I'm not one who claims, that America is perfect. Uh, We make mistakes, we did things wrong, we continue to do things wrong. But by any measure that you want to take, you look at all the civilizations in the history of the world, there's never been anything like the United States of America. The general principle among nations has been to spend fortunes and blood to enslave people or take land or to capture people. 
we have spent fortunes and blood to save people, to protect people, to care for people. And everywhere we've gone to do that, the only land, the only possession we've ever asked for is enough of a piece of a land to bury our dead. That's unusual in the history of the world. And when you consider the percent of Christians in the history of the world who have lived in these 200-some years in the United States, we are such a minuscule percentage. When we get to heaven and I line everybody up and ask all of them there, how many of you got to elect part of your government? Got to have a say in who ruled over you. There's not many hands going up, folks. That hadn't happened much in the history of the world. We line them all up in heaven and say, how many of you got to own land? Got to have possessions on earth that were your very own? Not many hands going up. How many of you got to travel anywhere you wanted and had the the freedom to do that kind of thing and learn anything you wanted and become anything you wanted to be? Not many hands. We are a very rare people among Christians. We're blessed to live in this country. And I think the second undeniable thing is that because of that, because of the greatness of this nation, many are fearful for this nation. People talk about the fall of America. And I I realize there's all degrees of that. Any of you ever watch Preppers on TV? That's kind of an interesting show now. And I realize a lot of them have got kind of kooky reasons for preparing for the worst. But many of them are doing it because they're convinced that America's going to fall. They're convinced that the way we're going, our systems, our principles, our organizations, they're all going to collapse. And so they're planning to take care of it. They're getting enough guns and gold and groceries that they can handle it, they think. Uh, There are people fearful like that. Many people contribute to uh, campaigns and get involved in elections and uh, organize to vote and all of that because they're fearful of what's happening. Some of you post or email Every cartoon or video that end up telling a story, I'm afraid. That's what it says. We're going the wrong direction. And I admit, I worry about my country. For my children and grandchildren more than for me. I don't have that long left. I can handle about whatever happens, I think. But what are my kids and grandkids going to grow up in? That makes me anxious. I fear that. I just got back from grandkid vacation, and the two 12-year-old boys were in my room one night and got to asking questions. They said, what did you do when you were a kid? I said, oh, we got up in the morning and had breakfast, and then we got on our bikes and took off. At noon, we'd find somebody's house to have lunch at. You know, all the mothers were home. So we could eat anywhere we wanted to. 
As long as we got home before dark, we was okay. We might have to go home sometime during the day to get our bat and ball if we decided to organize a game. And they looked at me like I was from another planet. Kids can't do that today. It's a different kind of place. And when I see what's on TV, the filth that's on there, no matter when you watch, the commercials, you weep for your grandchildren. What's going to happen in this country? Now, I say all of that just to get you where I am and where I, why I'm talking about this fear of the fall of a nation. We live in a great nation, and we, we fear that it's going the wrong direction. So what do we do as Christians? Because we're not supposed to be anxious about this. We're supposed to fear not. So, first, let's look at history as we deal with our fear. Uh, it's been said that those who don't study history are doomed to repeat it. Uh, I wish that was true. I wish the converse was true. If you do study history, you won't repeat it. But I'm afraid that's not true. Uh, history brings forth the reality that nations fall. And we might as well just admit this. We might as well just figure it out. The nations fall and ours is certainly vulnerable. Even when we do study history, history gets repeated. Nations fall. Everyone so far has fallen. Oh, and I know some of them still exist. Uh, many of them have fallen completely. They, they've ceased to exist. And some who ceased to still exist are just a shadow of their once greatness. Ours has lasted 200 plus years, 238, I think, or something like that. Well, that's a long time, historically. Uh, for a nation like this, a democratic republic, to survive that long is an amazing thing. Because I believe we started with the, the best ideas, the best principles, and all that. But if you read any history, you know that the founders said, you're going to have to be very careful with this. Because without morality, without religion, this won't work. It'll fall apart. Okay. And somehow we've lasted 200-some years anyway when we're going the wrong direction morally. So what I'm trying to tell you here is historically, folks, we've got no reason to expect not to fail. And if that sounds kind of pessimistic, I'm sorry, but historically that's true. So if that sounds really pessimistic, I think the best thing to do, always the best thing to do, is second, look to God. <laughs> Instead of studying history and what we think and what we know and how smart we are, let's look at God for just a moment and see what he says about this business. Part of it was already read for you, but I want to read quite a bit of Psalm 33. Because I want you to really hear what God's trying to tell us. I think it applies directly to what we're talking about today. Psalm 33, let's start at verse uh, 6. And he starts out telling us how powerful God is. 
He says, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the water of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all of the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. So that's how powerful God is. You've got to understand who we're dealing with here, the psalmist says. Then verse 10, the Lord foils the plans of nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of his heart through all generations. You start looking at the nations and the history of nations and all that, and you think, well, this one fell because of this. And Gibbon said, well, Rome rose and fell because of this. The psalmist says, God's involved. God's involved in the rise and fall of nations. Verse 12, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. From heaven the Lord looked down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all who considers everything they do. God's watching. God knows what's going on. He knows what people think in nations, what they believe, where their heart is. And it started out by saying in verse 12, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. When he knows that that nation or a majority of it or some percentage of it or uh, we might negotiate way on down, how many men does it take to save this nation? Like Abraham did. But he's watching. He's controlling. Now, 16. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him. On those whose hope is in his his unfailing love to deliver them from death and to keep them alive in famine. He says all the military defenses and all the weapon systems and everything else you can build up, that's not what keeps a nation going. If God is watching and sees that the hearts of the people aren't on him anymore, he doesn't care what kind of systems you got. He'll take you out. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In Him our hearts rejoice. For we trust in His holy name. May your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Here it comes, facing this faith, this fear with faith. What do we do? We look at the facts, we look at the numbers, we look at the history, we look at all of that, and we ought to be fearful for our nation. So what do we face that fear with? We face it with Psalm 33. We understand how God works. God's in charge. He's watching. He knows the hearts of the people. And when enough of the hearts of this nation have turned away from God, then this nation will fall. You say, well, that doesn't 
cheer me up very much. That's not my point. My point is to get us looking at the right thing. Let's look at the Bible. Let's look at third. Let's consider a Christian's duty to civil government. What are we supposed to do with civil government? See, I didn't ask that at first. I just started in talking like a patriot. And that's okay to be a patriot. But I didn't ask the question, what's the Bible say about it? Let's look. And I made this a yes-no thing. How many of these are you supposed to do as a Christian? First one, you're supposed to obey authority and obey the government? Romans 13.1 says you are. What the government tells you, as long as it doesn't conflict with what God tells you, you've got to obey it. Second one, are, are we supposed to, as Christians, influence culture by legislation in the courts? We say that a lot. We say it's a Christian's duty to get involved, to get do the right thing. The Bible doesn't say that, folks. Jesus didn't get politically involved, didn't tell his people to, didn't tell us to. Pay taxes, we're supposed to do that. Romans 13, 7 and Matthew 22, 21, both say we're supposed to pay taxes. We're supposed to elect spiritual candidates. Are we supposed to look for the people who have the most Christian values and are the closest to us and elect them? Somebody prayed for that a few weeks ago from this pulpit. May we elect spiritual candidates. That's a good thing to pray for. But does the Bible say that's our duty? Not mentioned. Doesn't say that. Doesn't say that's our duty. Are we supposed to support our leaders and pray for them? Second Timothy. Pretty important, actually. Probably a lot more important than we make it. Paul wrote to Timothy, I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good. Pleases God our Savior. That's the first thing he tells Timothy about worship. You, you pray for the king. You pray for those in authority. They have good kings back then. They were scoundrels. They, they were impeachable. If anybody would have had the right to impeach them. Paul says that's how you start church. You pray for them. That's a Christian's duty. Next one, be politically active, get involved in politics. The Bible doesn't say anything about it. Do good. The Bible's pretty clear about that. Galatians 6.10, do good unto all men. 1 Peter 2.12, live such good lives among the pagans. So we ought to do all the good we can. And... Voting's good. Lots of things are good. Organizing may be good. Whatever you think helps the people around you may be good. The Bible says to do that. Vote. I don't know how many times I've heard it's a Christian's duty to vote. It's a Christian's, it is a Christian's right to vote. It's not his duty to vote. The Bible doesn't say that. 
Okay? Now, I'm not saying these things are wrong. I'm just saying if we look at the Bible, there's a pretty clear distinction between us and civil government and our responsibilities to it. Remember what a minuscule number we are in the history of the world that even has the rights to do these things? That's why I think we ought to do them, because so very few of us have ever had the right. But the Bible doesn't say to. We sometimes get things across the line a little bit. To make that real clear, let's do this fourth one. Jesus said, my kingdom, my kingdom, not of this world. What kingdom are we in? It's pretty clear. John eighteen thirty six. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. And he was answering a question about the kind of things we're talking about. About defending a kingdom and preserving a kingdom. Jesus said, if my kingdom was of this world, my people would fight. My kingdom's not of this world. Now, some people take this and understand it to mean you shouldn't have any civil ties. You shouldn't have any civil loyalties. You shouldn't vote. You shouldn't get involved. You shouldn't worry about earthly things. And I understand that reasoning. I think you can make just as good a case from the Bible that a Christian has nothing to do with civil government as you can that he has a whole lot to do with civil government. Remember, we are so unique that we don't get this. We're a little tiny percentage of the people in the history of the world. And we've got more rights than anybody ever had. So we think that's the standard. It isn't. How much did the average Christian in Rome have to do with Roman civil government? He better obey what they told him, and he better pay his taxes. And he better pray for Caesar when he went to church. That's it. I don't agree with the people that say we have no civil responsibilities. I think we're so blessed that we we I think we have this opportunity and this duty we ought to. But at the end of the day, this world is not my home. His kingdom is not of this world. Now, we've got a clear divide here, folks, between an earthly nation and an eternal kingdom. And when we understand we've got that clear divide, let's go to the fifth one. We've got to set our priorities. We've got to make sure we get this straight. Now, I'm talking daily life here. We're, we're leaving theory. We're leaving uh, talking about impossible. In, in we're talking daily life here. Let's picture it this way. Let's picture it this way. Pledging allegiance. See those folks that say we should have nothing to do with civil government? That's one thing they cut out. They say don't pledge allegiance to the flag. Because your allegiance is to Christ. I understand that concept. They just take it to a degree that I'm not ready to take it, but I understand it. But let's take that concept of what we pledge allegiance to and work through a couple of things. I pledge allegiance. This is what's important to me. I pledge allegiance to the United States of America. Or to the kingdom of Christ. 
You say, well, nobody stands up and says that kind of thing. I'm not talking about standing up and putting your hand over your heart and saying it. I'm talking about how you live. I'm talking about how you spend your energy. What do you spend your time on? I'm talking about your finances. What do you spend your finances on? I'm talking about your loyalty. Where is your loyalty? You may not be getting this yet. Media time. Think about that. What do you listen to all day? How much political, radio, TV reading do you do compared to how much Bible study you do? How many sermon podcasts you listen to compared to this talk show host? Starting to get clearer? Well, what do you pledge allegiance to? How important is your nation compared to your kingdom? Communications, outreach. Will you talk to somebody if they say something that you don't agree with politically? Will you speak up for a candidate? Will you, will you tell them, here's how we ought to vote on this? Compare that to how will you talk to them about Christ? Put a sign in your yard to elect somebody? Put a cross in your yard to show people you're a Christian? Just ask him. Think. Think about all the things that we do. What are we pledging allegiance to? You contribute to any political action committees? You contribute to any candidates? I'm not telling you not to. I do. You know, I've got organizations that send me mail every day. Because I gave them some money once and they want more. And I give them some every once in a while because I agree with their cause. I think they'll help this nation stand longer than if they weren't there. So I do contribute. I'm not saying you shouldn't or can't. But when I sit down to balance the checkbook, where's my, well, who am I pledging allegiance to? I give them a little bit. But I give the kingdom more, I hope. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about 100% or zero. I'm talking about figuring out how we balance this. Should we spend some energy trying to get people to elect good people and all? That's a fine thing to do. But what's the balance? Compare it to the kingdom. Okay, uh, let me close with just a thought here in this whole overall importance of things. I put it on your handout. It helps me to realize this every once in a while. The ideal government cannot advance God's kingdom. You dream up the best government you want, perfect ideals, everything's just perfect. It, it can't do anything to advance God's kingdom. That's another world. Can it, can it make life easier for Christians? Yeah. Does that advance God's kingdom? You're going to have to think about that one. 
You won't have to think about it long. You just ask yourself, when did the kingdom grow the most? When it was persecuted. A friendly government. A government makes life easy for Christians. Actually impedes the growth of the kingdom. Messes things up. When we get the two worlds over the line, it messes things up. About 30 years or so ago, we decided that as Christians, man, we can straighten this country up. We're the moral majority. We just get involved in politics. If we just run people for city council, if we get Christians on the county board and all that, we'll straighten this country up. I think we messed the country and the church both up. We got confused what our allegiance was to. I didn't fix much. Not only the ideal government cannot advance God's kingdom, but the other side of that is that the worst, most evil government you can think of cannot halt the Holy Spirit or the spread of God's word. That's another world. That's the spiritual kingdom. That's beyond any dictator's ability to stop. Oh, yeah, he can persecute people. Church just spreads faster. So when we consider that clear picture between a nation and a kingdom, maybe we won't fear the fall of our nation so much. Let's face it with faith. Next week we're going to talk about thorns in the flesh, physical illness, physical disease, being incapacitated, dependent. A lot of people are fearful of that. And it's a fearful thing. How do we handle that? The lesson is yours. So we close. If you need to respond to the Lord's invitation in some way, if you need to realign your priorities. Uh, maybe you need the prayers of this family as you change something in your life of, to do with this lesson or any other that we've talked about lately, just whatever's going on in your life. You just need to share something with this family. We'll be here at the front. Let's stand and sing. Come if you need to.